0: We walk in that restoration, always focused on you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, first, to all of you who are here, wow, kudos on your faithfulness on this cold day. And to those of you who are at home, all right, enjoy the cup of coffee, your slippers, the TV, and enjoy the sermon. We're in a series right now that's on clarity over chaos and how God brings clarity into difficult times And as we're going through this today, we're going to go into the second story in Genesis. And and I want to say something before we kind of even get started with that, in that there are really four stories that critics love to attack in the Bible, right? They attack them for different reasons, but one of the first reasons they attack, they'll attack the um, story of creation that we talked about last week. They, They want to attack that idea that God created the earth in seven days. Another story that many just love to make fun of is the story we're working today, the story of the flood and Noah. Now, there are a lot of reasons, and we'll talk about why that might be one that they criticize. The virgin birth gets a lot of criticism, and, of course, the resurrection. All four stories, because they have elements in them that seem impossible by human explanation. But there's another reason they're attacked. They're attacked because if those stories are true... And I believe they are all true. If they're true, then there's something that's demanded of us. If God really is the creator of all things, God has a right to expect us to do what he asks us to do. If the flood story is true, there really is a time of judgment. And if God judged the world once, he'll judge the world again. And that's something we don't like to think about. The virgin birth, if Jesus really was born of a virgin supernaturally above what's normal, then he really was different. He wasn't just another person who had some nice things to say. He was God with skin on. And the resurrection from the dead? Well, if that story is true, then Jesus is the only one who can offer us everlasting life, and no one else can. No other religion can. These are the reasons they attack these things, but I want you to know I believe all four stories to be true as written. Which brings us to the story of the flood a time when the world was in incredible chaos, and a time where we hear something, we, we hear that God has a regret. Now, I don't know if you have any regrets or not. I, I, I suppose all of us have some things we regret that we've said or we've done. I regret something that happened yesterday. I was having dinner with my wife and my grandchildren and my son, and as we were at the, ta- the table at Applebee's having supper, I asked my grandson, he was talking about how old someone was. I said, well, how old do you think Grandpa is? He thought about it, and his dad said, do you think he's 100? And he goes, no, he's not 100. That made me feel better. He goes, I think Grandpa's 60. Well, that's a little older than I am, but that was acceptable. But then I made the mistake of asking the question, well, how old is Nana, Grandma? How old is she? He shocked me, and he made her the happiest grandma on earth, because he said, she's about 29. 29. <laughs> regrets. <laughs> a lot, of course, a lot of regrets are a lot more serious than that. We, we, we've done something we wish we hadn't done, or we said something we wish we hadn't said, or we didn't do something. We wish we'd inv- invested in Microsoft back in the day, or we didn't, we'd done this thing or that, but we didn't for whatever reason. Regrets. The tragedy of Genesis chapter 6 is that God looks at his creation, this planet, the people, the inhabitants, that he created with free will and an opportunity to make choices, hoping that he could have a relationship with us, to interact with us like a father to a child. He, he longed for that kind of a relationship. But like rebellious teenagers, the world chose on the, on the majority to disregard a relationship with God We'll read this in a second, but here's the real tragedy. Not only did parents no longer care about God, they didn't care what kind of examples they had for their kids. So their kids were growing up just as wicked as their parents were. It was a travesty. Now last week, we ended on the hopeful words that people had began to call on the name of the Lord. And even though there had always been an element that had been against God, there had also been a few who had remained faithful to God, trying to do the things God asked them to do. Such is the case of Noah. We pick up the story of Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. The Lord saw every inclination of the thoughts... The human heart was only on evil all the time. I want to make this really clear. God wasn't just judging the things they were doing when he passes the judgment. He knows what they think. He knows what I think. He knows what you think. He he knows what's in our heart. So he didn't just judge the things that they did. He he judged the things they thought, what their inclination was, how they would scheme to do things. And, And God takes a hard look at the inside. Not just the things on the outside, but the things on the inside, and, and that's scary. That he knows us like that, he knows us through and through. So God looks at them. He looks at the inclination of the thoughts of their heart. He sees that they were filled with evil. Here it is: the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled, and I don't think we can dismiss that. Deeply troubled. What's about to happen next in the story is horrific. It changed the very nature of the planet we live on. But it came not from a place of God saying, Oh, that's it. I'm ready to destroy them. This was one of the hardest decisions God has to make. It wasn't what he wanted to do. It wasn't what he had created us to do. It troubled him that he had to do it. But he does do it. The Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Talk about living in a chaotic world. That's the world that Noah lived in, a world where every thought of your neighbors was on evil all the time. What kept Noah from following in their footsteps? Well, one of the things that's going to come out, listen for it as we read through the story, is how you'll hear a phrase used over and over. And Noah did everything the Lord commanded him. Noah did what God asked him to do. This is what separated him from everyone else. Everyone else did what they wanted to do. Noah did what God wanted him to do. It says in this next verse, verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And I want us to think about that. How do we get favor in the eyes of the Lord? Some of you, you know what it is to have favor. You're the favorite child. Now, parents, I don't think, should have favorite children, yet lots of them do. And I already see there's probably somebody elbowing someone right now. Uh-huh, you're the favorite child. Brothers and sisters like, Dad, who's your favorite? I get it. Uh, the favored status. Well, it's not necessarily that Noah was his favorite, although he might be able to imply that given the circumstances, but he found favor. God favors those who do his will, those who have a heart for his word, for his life, for what he wants. So as we think about the story and we ask this question, what is it that kept Noah from following the example of everyone else? What is it that enabled him to find favor with God? We take a look at verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. He was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. I don't know. There's just probably not a better epitaph that could be given to any of us than those, those last five words. He walked faithfully with God. Now, Noah had three sons. And it says in verse 11... That in this situation of God's judgment, God is passing a judgment. It says, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to no, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Yet God's provision shows up for the righteous. There is judgment for the wicked, but there is provision for the righteous, those who do what God says is right. God said, Make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, coat it with pitch inside and out. Then he gives instruction for how to build it. This is how you're to build it it should be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide. 30 cubits high. Interesting enough, those dimensions are still used in shipmaking to this day. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening, one cubit high all around. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring a flood. Flood waters will be on the whole earth to destroy all life under the heavens. God is definitely planning an end but even as he plans an end, he's planning a beginning. Now I want to pause for a moment and just talk about this idea of God planning an end. There are some things that are in our lives that need to end. We need to let go of them, and it's hard to let go of things. People have had an addiction to alcohol or an addiction to a drug or addiction to, to something else in their life. It's, it's hard for them to, to trust God enough to let it go. They think, I'll be empty without that in my life, or it won't be as fulfilling without my life, but the truth is that... When God talks about an end, he also makes provisions for a beginning. And what's missing from our life, God has a way of filling and replacing with something better, more holy. When God plans an end, he also plans a beginning. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, that one day you'll be where I am. Now, don't miss this. In the same way that God planned an end in the time of Noah, he is planning an end for the world we live in today. He hasn't hidden that from us. He's planning an end, but he's also planning a new beginning. It's the way that God has worked from the beginning of time, the way he worked in the flood, and the way he'll work at the end. God plans to protect the righteous. I'm going of bring a flood water, he says. It's going to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature on the earth, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. You will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Now you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of creature that moves along the ground. They will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away for food for you and for them. God doesn't just provide for Noah and his wife. He provides for the creation itself. He's starting over, but he's also providing. One thing is ending, but he has plans for something else to begin. And here it is. I think it's the response that Noah has, and I pray it's the response that we can begin to have. When we have a decision to make, do I do it my way or God's way? Well, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. It's interesting in this story of, in the book of Genesis, if you haven't read the whole book recently, just think back about this, right? Adam and Eve don't do everything just as God commanded them. They don't do it. They're supposed to, but they don't do everything they're commanded to do. Past this story, when we get to the time of Abram and Abraham, through the time in Genesis all the way through. Uh, the end of that, to the, the stories around Joseph, we repeatedly have people not doing everything that they're supposed to do. But this is remarkable about Noah. Noah did everything God asked him to do. So as you think about that, are there things that God is asking you to do that you're not doing? The call to righteousness is to do everything God asks. Not just some things, everything he asks. Well, God then tells Noah the plan. The Lord said to Noah, go into this ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. And I pray, pray that that will be true of you and of us, that God will find us righteous in this generation. He told him, take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate. One pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. There's an interesting thing that happens here. The law's not been given yet. God hasn't yet described to Moses what's clean or unclean. Yet somehow, no one knows that. In his conversation with God, he's already learning and discerning what God says is clean and unclean. God revealed something to Noah way before He revealed it to all the people of Israel and to to the things that will happen to Moses after the flood. He had revealed these things somehow, and Noah was obedient. So the springs, the flood of the deep, the floodgates of heavens are opened. A flood comes on the earth, and it is horrific. It's horrific. Genesis 7, 10 says, after seven days, the floodwaters came. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. The floodgates of heaven were open. The rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. As the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on the land perished. Birds, livestock... Wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils, died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals, creatures that move along the ground, And the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left. And those with him in the ark. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Six months in a box filled with animals. No idea what the world's going to look like. When the rain ends and he leaves the ark. Noah had trusted the Lord, but there's this moment where everywhere he looks, all he can see is water. Talk about feeling adrift, feeling alone. But I guess he had the most important things his faith, his family. And his future. He had his future still. He didn't know what it was going to involve, but God did. I want you to get this God has plans for us that involve giving us hope for a future. Even when you can't see it, it doesn't mean it's not there. God remembered Noah, He remembered the animals. He sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Of course, you know the end of the story. Verse 18, Noah came out together with his sons and his wife, his sons' wives, all the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground, all the birds, everything that moves on land. They came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and he said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Noah found grace through faith in the Lord. Stories of judgment are never fun to listen to. Stories of redemption are. And stories of second chances are exciting. Don't miss this. There is another day of judgment coming where God will judge the whole earth. And the pattern that he established with Noah is still the pattern. Only those who are faithful to God will be saved. And those who are not will perish just as surely as those who perished in the flood. But the emphasis of the story is not on that which is lost, but on the fact that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone on that boat. He wants everyone to accept what Jesus has done for them. It's not his will to see all of his creation perish again. His will and his hope is to see all of his creation saved. He wants to see you saved and me saved. So we have this question to ask ourselves Noah was saved because he did everything the Lord commanded him. And we have to ask ourselves the question today, am I doing everything the Lord has commanded me? Peter told those people that were listening the day of Pentecost, if you want to do what God wants, start by repenting of your sins and being faithful in Christian baptism. Die to an old life on your own so you can rise to a new life in Christ. If you've never done that, I encourage you to make that decision today. I encourage you to make that decision to say yes to the Lord, yes to hope, yes to life, yes to the chance that he offers you. If you have a decision to make, we well, make it as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.